Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my conversation with award-winning sports writer Ian Ridley. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard Ian discuss his excellent book, Floodlit Dreams. This conversation is about Addicted, Tony Adams' groundbreaking autobiography, first published in 1998. It's a tremendous book and a brutally honest account of Tony's descent into alcoholism, his spell in prison and subsequent recovery with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Addicted was shortlisted for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year and it's no wonder. This book is on most lists of the best football books of all time and had a huge impact on popular culture in the late 90s. Ian Ghost wrote the book with Tony and breaks down that process in impressive detail here. We start by talking about how he first got to know Adams as a young Arsenal player. Well, um, I'd known Tony as a young Arsenal captain and everyone thought he was a bit of a nutter, to be honest. He got getting into scrapes, but because he was such a big part of George Graham's Arsenal and, and with England, he was kind of tolerated in those sort of knockabout drinking days really of the of the early 90s and I didn't really know him other than one memory of him coming back from an Arsenal trip they played away at Auxerre in um, I think it was the Cup Winners Cup and he took the mic and made this story about the press and we've proved you all wrong and all that kind of thing we were on the Arsenal plane and he was just a bit boorish and he'd been drinking and that was my kind of the only thing I knew about him and then of course, I mean, it's no secret now, but we both, um, you know, acknowledged it. I was an alcoholic in recovery. I'd become very friendly with Paul Merson, who lived near me and had got sober um, in the mid-90s. And we used to go to the same AA meeting. And then Paul said, Tony Adams wants to come to AA. She, you know, she'll like bring him to a meeting with us. And I said, sure. And we went to a meeting, the three of us. And, and I kind of got to know Tony and he was ready to quit drinking and everything. And that was in, that was after Euro 96. That was the August, September of, of 96. And we just became friends and, and started going to meetings, started talking a lot together. And then after about, when would it be? About nine months, he said to me, you know, I've I feel I want to tell my story. Uh, will you write it for me? And I said, of course I will. I'd be, I'd be honoured. And so we, we embarked on it. He got a deal and he gave, he wanted to start a clinic. I remember that, a, a treatment centre for, for uh, people with addictive illnesses, sports people. So he was going to use the money for that. So we started writing it in 97. We started writing, it came out in, in September of 98. So we started writing it. It took about 15 months, I think, to write. The process of it was I would sit down with him. I, ha- I researched it. There wasn't the internet in those days, of course. Mm. So to research it, I actually paid, I remember, I paid an Arsenal fan who was a statistician to give me Tony's complete career details uh, season by season. They weren't that easy to find in those days, like now. 
And he did that for me. And that formed the basis um, of my research. So I felt like when I went into the interviews with Tony, I knew everything about his career. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. That's always something that's really intrigued me, because obviously some players, the, the recall that they have varies, varies widely. Some people yeah. have photographic memories and remember everything, and some people yeah. remember virtually nothing. So I guess as a ghostwriter, you have to go in there armed with all the facts. This happened in this game, this happened in this game, uh, and, and be filling in the gaps as they're telling their story, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that players do differ and their memories you know sometimes they'll say oh I scored a hat-trick in that game and you look it up and it was actually three weeks later and against a different team that kind of thing yeah so I found that I'm putting this to Tony rather than him because he wasn't used to doing interviews in all honesty and he wasn't used to the kind of level of detail I mean I love talking about Addicted I love talking about that book because for me, it was kind of the touchstone moment of my ghostwriting career. And so, so often I see uh, awards dinners and, you know, for, for books of people's autobiographies, the ghostwriter's not even mentioned. And if you're going to do it properly, you've got to have a chemistry with the guy for a start. But also you're going to bring something to the process. Of course, you're capturing his, his uh, voice or her voice, but you're actually trying to develop them. Now, I can remember very early on thinking, do you know, the turning point of Tony's life is the day he quit drinking. And it was an August afternoon in a pub in Romford in East London on Essex border. And he'd had enough. He just decided he'd had enough. He said, I got a pint of Guinness and I put something on the jukebox and I thought I've had enough. And I said, I want to know what you put on the jukebox. He said, I can't remember that. And I said, well, that's the kind of detail I want. Tell me what you, you put on the on the jukebox. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember. And we went on. We, we you know, did it, the interviews. I'd meet him for two hours at a time at a hotel near St. Albans where they train. And uh, we'd, we'd meet after training in the afternoons, sometimes after games on a Saturday evening. And I'd tape it all. And I ended up with, you know, a lot of hours of tape. Um, that I transcribed myself because the material was so sensitive, I didn't want a transcription agency doing it. Anyway, after about four or five months, he said to me, he rang me up late at night and said, um, I've remembered what was on the jukebox. I said, okay, what was it? He said, black coffee in bed by squeeze. And I said, that's great for the book. That's the kind of detail I want. Yeah. Plus it shows your memories improving after quitting drinking and we're getting somewhere. Now, I started the book, the opening chapter is called The End. Mm -hmm. And I started it deliberately there because for me, that was the turning point of his life and his career. And that was the natural, that was the natural way into the book. And, and um, we it, originally, we had several different titles for the book. I, I wanted to call it To Any Lengths, which is a line from Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're willing to go to any lengths, you know, you're willing to take certain steps. And he phoned me up again one night. It was about one in the morning, said, addicted. It's going to be called addicted. I was addicted to football. I was addicted to alcohol. So that, and of course, it stuck, and it almost yeah. became a brand, and it was it was the perfect title. You know, it's interesting you talk about the the way into the book. You know, the the star yeah. is is actually entitled the end. So yeah. so so just for for the listeners, it actually it starts with um, Southgate missing the penalty in the yeah. semi against Germany yeah. at Euro ninety six, and and Tony, who hasn't had a drink for a few weeks, knows yeah. just knows that he's going to go on this massive bender, yeah. and and he, and he does for the, for for the next like month or two, he's just out of it. 
And then I think it's about mid-August uh, where he's in this pub and he has his last drink of alcohol. But it's an incredible like seven-week arc that you have there, which I think sets the tone for the book. Now, you said an interesting thing there. You said, well, that, you know, I thought that was a natural way into it. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think it is, right? But I don't think it's the obvious way into it for, for every ghostwriter because at, at this point, autobiographies were something a bit different. They were quite mundane. They tend yeah. to, tended to start in the sandpit and progress from there. But yeah. so, so that was a real statement of intent. Were you aware of that? Were you aware I of the book? I was very much of, aware of that. Yeah, I was very yeah. much aware that I had a book here that was very different. And, um, I mean, I'll tell you a couple of stories about that. I remember going away for a week in the winter, somewhere warm, the Canary Islands, I think it was, to finish it off. And in those days, it was on a floppy disk. And I had it in my pocket in in coming back through customs. And I knew that this was worth a fortune to the publishers because I was very much aware that this was dynamite. Everything he was telling me was dynamite. Now, you couldn't get away with it now because of social media and everything. But in those days, no one, everybody knew he liked to drink, but nobody knew about the detail and the the disgusting things that happened to him when he was drinking. So I knew I was, I, I was onto something with this. And then I always remember uh, about six weeks before it was due out, I got a phone call from David Dean, who's the Arsenal vice chairman, who said to me, uh, I've just been sent an advanced copy of this, this manuscript by um, Harper Collins. This is a disgrace. We're going to injunct. And I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, um, well, we can't have all this coming out about Arsenal. This is shocking. And Tony was determined that Arsenal and England and the FA were not going to see this book and not going to stop it. And I said, David, look, I don't know why you're phoning me. You need to be talking to Harper Collins." And he said, well, you should be ashamed of yourself writing this book. And I said, come on, David, you know, look, I'd advise you not to injunct, David, because you'd be gagging the captain of Arsenal and England and it wouldn't look good for you. He said, well, we're going to look terrible. And I said, well, I'm not so sure. I think, you know, you might come out of it okay. Anyway, the launch was at Highbury. And um, I'm standing at the back of the room and there's lots of, it's by this time it's created a stir. And David Dean comes up to me and said, "Um, this is a fantastic book, you know. It's flying off the shelves in the club shop. (laughs) And I reminded David of this and he laughed about it. But they actually came out of it quite well because all the press Tony was getting was, my God, this is honest. You know, it's good to see that Arsenal are getting their house in order. Now Wenger's here and all that kind of thing. So David was actually sort of basking in the glory of it, really. But I did know. Yes, I did know. I wanted to do something very, very different. And I think because I was a recovering alcoholic and knew the importance of the rock bottom to an alcoholic. Yes. That's why... That was my first chapter. It's interesting because the book is not strictly chronological either. I mean, there's really interesting chapters on the managers he's worked with and players that he played with. And it looks as if, like, throughout the book, you were kind of consciously departing from the the norms of or the conventions of autobiography. I I, I was. And if I'm honest, I had problems with the structure of it. Now I think back to it. Because so much of the chronology of it, Arsenal and England overlapped. You know, I wanted to do a chapter on England and I wanted to do chapters on, on Arsenal. And, and it was quite difficult to dovetail because 
you know, Arsenal would lose in a midweek and then play he'd play for England at a weekend or whatever, you know, vice versa. And they didn't fit together naturally. But I just wanted to avoid a book that went from, as you say, from from um, the sandpit, really. And and I wanted to do it by topics. And I also wanted, and this was conscious, I wanted 12 chapters for the 12 steps of AA. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I also wanted the first, certainly the first, five ten thousand words of the book and definitely the first chapter to be written in a very staccato short sentence style because that was how he was that's how he spoke at that time and as he relaxed into the book and into his sobriety it becomes more expansive and the sentences get longer and the ideas get deeper so that's how i wanted to develop the book in terms of crafting it that's interesting. What was Tony's part in the editorial process? Obviously, you're having these conversations, you're transcribing, yeah. you're crafting. Are you showing him drafts and then he's coming yeah. back and saying, well, maybe yeah. not, maybe this? Um, After all the the taping, because I was kind of getting, I was going through it chronologically with the taping before I decided on the structure, just to to get his memories of things. And after transcribing all the tapes, I then put it into some kind of order and I printed it all off and I took it to him and I gave it to him. And then we would go through it literally page by page. And once he had something down on paper, his memory would get jogged. And he'd say he'd remember different games, different episodes, different incidents, different things about his drinking. So I think we went through we went through four drafts of it. And each right. draft, we literally went through it page by page. He was very meticulous about reading it. You know, I, I mean, I've heard some people say, well, I haven't read my autobiography. I wouldn't know what's <laughs> in it, you know. But Tony absolutely knew every line. And it was the same when we came to do Sober. We did the, you know, 20 years on of the, the follow-up book. And, and again, that has 20 chapters in it. I wanted 20 chapters, 20 years of sobriety. He's always been very, very involved in the process. I went to, I remember he did his ankle very badly in '97 just before Christmas, it was against Blackburn. And he was trying to play with an injury. And Wenger sent him to the south of France to see a, um, a specialist physio out there for a week. And he said to me, come with me and we'll do it together. And I did the same in Azerbaijan. When he was in Azerbaijan for sober, I went and stayed with him for a week because we work really well together when we're kind of closeted somewhere away. And I did the same in Granada when he was there with Spain, in Spain. Anyway, I went to the south of France with him and it was a wonderful, wonderful week and moment. And uh, we got a lot done on the book, a lot of interviewing, went through the, the tapes and everything. And he would, he would do his rehab during the day and then we'd go out for a meal and, and we'd do a lot of taping later on. And then the last night we were there, we went into a restaurant in Antibes and... Um, he was feeling better. And he said to me, uh, we sat down to dinner and I said, oh, look who's in the corner. And it was Marco Van Basten having dinner. Now, Van Basten had been Tony's nemesis as a young player at Euro 88, scored a hat-trick. Tony was hung out to dry as a very young player playing for England. And this was a centre forward at the peak of his power. But his career was now over at the age of 28 and he was now in his 30s, early 30s. And at the end, Tony went over to him and said, how are you? And they had a conversation and I stayed away and I, and I just watched them. And then we walked out of the restaurant and he said, he said to me, I've got to get back playing. I said, 
what did he say? And he said, um, he just misses it. He's just in so much pain. He misses it so badly. And Tony, we flew back the next day and Tony played, I think, the following week. Within three months, Arsenal had won the double and, and he was back playing for England at France 98. That was an amazing moment with Van Basten, sort of yeah. very spiritual moment. And it was kind of how he was at that time. He was open to all these experiences. Yeah. You know, he was, he was like, he always used to say, I'm like a flower opening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I want to finish up by talking about the impact of the book, but maybe we can just rewind to the David Dean stuff because hmm. it's interesting, like, when you, when you hear that related now, you think that's, that's crazy, that reaction. How could he... he come out and, and say these things about this iconic yeah. book. But it's actually, in some ways, it's understandable because yeah. no one had ever blown the lid off things, really, yeah. like Tony had, uh, did through that book. So you can understand from a professional point of view that he, this guy doesn't know where where this is going to go. He doesn't know the impact it's going to have. But then he quickly realises it, you know, even at the, at the launch where he's like, this is, yeah. this is something different. But yeah. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the impact because it had a huge impact on on popular culture and on on you know literary sports literary culture as well. As it was nominated for the the William Hill, I remember. So yeah. can you reflect a bit about that the, the impact of it? I do remember the William Hill particularly. Do you know it was just an amazing time of my life. I have to say. You don't know it at the time. I always say the trouble with having the time of your life is you don't realise it until it's over. <laughs> um, but it was an amazing time of my life. The Sun serialised it for five days. They paid quite a lot for the serialisation. And the guy that did it, Steve Howard, came up to me and said, I've never made so many notes on a book as I, was, as I made when I was doing this. And they got five, six days serialisation out of it. But still it sold. Even with all that serialization, it sold. It came out the week England were playing in Sweden and Glenn Hoddle was kind of on sticky ground at this point because, and Tony had said something about Hoddle in the book that he was not very relaxed and he found it difficult working with him. And of course that made things very, very sticky. But so it was all over, a huge press around it. It was a shock. People had known Tony was, you know, been in some scrapes, but they didn't know he was you know, all the detail of his drinking and his alcoholism, what went on at Arsenal, the Tuesday drinking club and all that kind of thing. 
so the impact was was amazing and and i have to be honest i loved it i can remember i'd just taken on uh, a job as a scriptwriter for dream team that was on sky one at the time and itn sent somebody to interview me in the script room when i was we were doing storyline meetings stuff like that was going on and it was I, I loved it, I have to say. And the William Hill Award, I remember that year. This was, this was amazing. I, it didn't win. It, there was a book called Angry White Pajamas that won it. It was a book about a guy who embedded himself with the Tokyo Police Force um, and became a karate expert or something like that. Anyway, the, the organiser of the award said to me afterwards, John Gasso, he said, we, we, were, you know, we were close to giving the book the award, but... We don't want to give it really to the to a ghostwritten book. And I think it was the first ghostwritten book ever nominated on the shortlist. Mm. And I think the next year a ghostwritten book won it. I think we kind of prepared the ground. But anyway, so we didn't win it. And this wine waiter comes over to me with a glass of water and says, I'm very sorry you didn't win, Mr. Ridley. Would you like a drink of water? I said, thank you. And he said, I don't know if it's any consolation. He said, but I read this book three or four months ago, realized I was an alcoholic and I've been going to AA ever since. And I just thanked him so much. And I went outside and I rang Tony and he said to me, that's why we wrote the book. That's why we wrote the book, not to win awards, but for people like that. And you know what? It got me back my feet on the ground. And that was the real impact of it. Yeah. And for years afterwards, I would go to AA meetings and with Tony as well. And people would come up and say, I read Addicted. It helped me, really helped me. And to me, that was the impact of it. And of course, in terms of sports literature, I did think it changed to point, you know, Nick Hornby was often blamed for everybody wanting to write a book about their football club, you know, to, to, to do the sort of Kilmarnock fever pitch or whatever. <laughs> and in some ways, my, my late wife, Vicky, always used to joke. She said, you're responsible for all these memoirs now where somebody's got to have an eating disorder or, <laughs> or whatever. You started all that. And I said, well, you know, uh, I, it's not too bad a thing to be known for, I suppose. <laughs> Huge thanks to Ian for his time. Check out Ian and all his projects at floodlitdreams.com. And if you haven't heard last week's episode with him on his book Floodlit Dreams, go and check it out now. As always, if you can be bothered leaving us a review, whatever you've listened to this podcast, we'd be eternally grateful. And please sign up to the back page mailing list. The sign up box is on our homepage, which we've linked to below. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.